Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Lapse Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode, uh, I was going to say 210, but this must be episode 211 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse podcast. I am your host, Ted Hoost, and today we're going to recap the Division I quarterfinal round. Uh, we'll talk about the Virginia-Maryland game, the Cornell and Delaware game. We'll talk about Rutgers-Penn, and then we'll talk about princeton uh, as well. But before I get into it, as always, be sure to like and subscribe. The easiest way you can support me and the podcast is just like, subscribe, share if you're a listener. And uh, that's pretty much it. You can also go to laxfactor.com and get swag there. But let's dive right into this and not waste any more time. Let us jump right into discussing the Virginia and uh, Maryland game. The outcome of this game barely in question. UVA did jump out to a one-zip lead. It was an unassisted wraparound goal by Griffin Schutz. That got the the, the scoring started. That gave UVA the lead with 11-12 left in the first. But from there, a four-goal run uh, for Maryland that spanned the remainder of the first quarter gave the Terps a 4-1 lead, and they barely had to look over their shoulder the rest of the way. Now, the keys in this game, Anthony DeMeo. Now, let's take a look here. We got Anthony DeMeo. Guy's like on his seventh year at Maryland, something like that. He's been a pretty savage all year long for the Terps. He's their fourth leading scorer. He scored three of the Terps' uh, first four goals in this game. Every goal he scored looked angrier than the one before. The dude has one of the best shooting strokes in the country. Guy low to high. Uh, I think it was his second goal where it was kind of a, a you know kind of side armed it a little bit, but stung it to the bottom left corner of the cage. You know, no, he's just got a great shot selection overall, and he he changes the 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 level of his shot as well as anyone. Twenty nine goals and nineteen assists on the year, including at least nine, at least a point in every single game this season for Maryland. He's been one of Maryland's most steady and consistent hands, on top of being a big team leader as well. The keys to DeMeo's game are his efficiency. He scores goals forty two point six percent of the time. He fires off a shot, putting almost seventy percent, sixty nine point one percent on cage. He also takes care of the ball, only nine turnovers on the season. I often wonder how accurate those stats are because nine turnovers on the season doesn't sound like a whole lot, but he does do a lot of his damage off ball. So maybe that plays into it. And I can't stress enough how important DeMeo's been for the Terps in his seventh season, like I said, of playing for them. He finished this game with three goals and two helpers off seven shots with three turnovers. That's a, a, a solid stat line, but that plays into me saying I can't believe that he only has nine turnovers on the season, considering he had three in this game alone. So I wonder how their totals add up over time. Another big player in this game, Luke Weirman. The kid's been an absolute animal. Stat line on the day, 20 of 29 at the dot with two helpers, 12 ground balls, and zero turnovers. The kid's the kid hands down gets my most improved player between 2021 and 2022, especially in terms of impact. 
in 2021, he won 87 of 192 draws with a four uh, four five three winning percentage. Also put up a goal in a dish. In 2022, he's won 272 of 409 draws with a six six five winning percentage with eight goals and six helpers. I mean, he's a face-off guy that wins the draw. More importantly, he's a face-off guy that wins the draw, and then he wins the possession, and he'll score some goals and put up some assists in the process. Shoots the rock at a 42.1% clip, uh, you know, which is just incredible for a face-off guy as well. You know, he's winning the draw, streaking down the field and ripping shots and putting them on cage and scoring them at 42%. That's in- insanely impressive as well. Now, the Maryland defense. The defense, they're ranked fourth in the country in terms of scoring defense. They give up just over nine goals a game. But the box score really doesn't tell the story of how good this defense is played in terms of cause turnovers and things like that. What does tell the story, Connor Schellenberger, any chance of him winning the Tewartan, gone thanks to this defense. I don't know that he had a big shot anyway. I guess if Virginia won the title, he would have had a shot. He goes for zero points in this game off five shots. Peyton Cormier, two goals and a helper off just three shots. So he was efficient with the looks that he got, but he didn't get very many looks at all. And it's often difficult to shut down off-ball guys like Cormier, but the the kicker was the reason they were able to kind of limit Cormier's looks is because they weren't getting beat on ball. They were covering Dodgers well, getting help where they needed it, covering where they where they sent help covering that backside. So they did an incredible job defensively all game long. Matt Moore, one goal and a dish off nine shots. Now I've said it many times, if Matt Moore has a bad shooting day for Virginia, it tends to hurt them because those bad shooting days often end up being, you know, one of nine, as was the case here, one of 11, one of 13. You know, when he's off, he's Jack Hanna early in this season off. And that that hurt Virginia overall. It wasn't going to make a huge difference, uh, but it could have changed the flow of the game. Moore took two bad shots. His first two shots were rough early in this game, and that allowed Maryland to jump out to a, you know, get after Virginia jumped out to the one goal lead, uh, that allowed Maryland to get like those four goals. You know, that four goal Maryland run was partly due to the two bad shots that Moore took that Maryland capitalized off of. It, it's not Moore's fault. I'm, I'm not saying that. I mean, the dude's a pro. Any coach, as, as a former coach, I'd take him in a heartbeat. You would live and die by his productivity, and you'd just be willing to do so. But in this game, it kind of hurt the flow for Virginia early, and then they never recovered after that. Logan McNaney, he deserves credit beyond this defense. The kid stopped 14 of the 22 shots he faced. He had a monster game. I heard a couple of times the telecast say, well, that was an easy save for McNaney. Bullshit. He made fairly difficult saves in this game look easy. He had an incredible game. There was there was a couple of like off-stick side saves where, I mean, he just kind of calmly reaches across, boom, there's a save. And he made it look easy. I don't think that there were as many easy saves in this game as they thought. Now, I will say Moore's first two shots, they were easy saves for sure uh, because they were pretty much stick to stick. McNaney barely had to move. He just had to be in the right position, and he was, and then he made the save easily. But he made a a lot of very good saves in this game. Um, McNaney, he smoked the goalie battle here with the help of his defense. But the way McNaney was seeing the ball, seeing the ball incredibly well, got off to a really good start. I get the feeling that even if he, even if the defense didn't play as well as they did in limiting the looks that Virginia got and being on their hands where they did get looks, I get the feeling that McNaney was seeing the ball well enough that he would have just stopped 
20 shots if he had to, if the defense gave up more looks. They didn't, but I think that he was playing that good. Logan Wisnowskis. I knew Wisnowskis was going to have a huge season overall. I just wasn't sure what that was going to mean in terms of leadership. He's a quiet guy. You know, he's not, he didn't seem like that guy that was going to, to just come with a shit ton of fire. But, man, the way that he led this team, especially the way he led this team by example, the way that he got fired up for this team from the beginning of the season until now, it's, it's been incredible. I've been, you know, he gets hyped up after every goal. He's been a great leader, and I've enjoyed watching him fuck shit up here for Maryland in his senior year. His three goals and two assists, they were expected. His fire and the passion that he showed in this game, not so much, uh, but he's, he's done that all season long. Right now, if I had to vote for a Tewartan winner, it's it's Wisnowskis, and assuming that Maryland goes on to to win the title, back to back to Arton winners here for Maryland because Wisnowskis has been that good this season. Um, Maryland scored goals in settled situations. They scored goals in transition. They scored goals within the subbing game. Roman Puglazi was good for a goal in a dish, three ground balls and a forced turnover. So Maryland put points up all over the place in every situation you can imagine. But if I had to pick. If I had to pick an MVP in this game, hands down, it's Weirman. The kid helped the team win 21 of 31 faceoffs. What more can you say when you're facing a beast like Petey LaSala? And Weirman got the better of LaSala in their first meeting, and LaSala is famous for returning the favor the next time they play, but that was not the case here. Weirman dominated the dot, uh, got his team more possessions than Virginia had, and it showed on the scoreboard in the end. And then you got McNaney standing tall in cage like an absolute wall. So Mar- Maryland is there. They're really good, really good. And uh, I can't, you know, I don't know what's going to happen here. I'm not, I'm not that guy that's going to say, holy shit, this is a terrible tournament because Maryland's going to roll. I saw someone make the point on Twitter. Well, if Maryland, if Maryland rolls to the finals and wins it, and if they just keep beating people up like that, I mean, no one was complaining about the Bulls when they went on their run with jo- their runs with Jordan and they beat everybody up. What we're seeing is greatness. And there's a part of me that wants Maryland to just roll right through this tournament and win the finals simply because they've been that good. It would be a huge letdown for them, for sure, if they don't win the title here. For, for them, it's win, win the title or get fucked is pretty much how it's working. And I think I, I legitimately think they're going to win the title. If you know Princeton, I think, has a solid chance at them here this, this come, upcoming weekend. But holy shit, is Maryland just a ridiculously good team, complete in every facet of the game, an offense that never stops attacking you, that takes care of the ball. They're aggressive as hell, but still take care of the ball. They can score deep down into their roster. Their second midfield line is not – you hear a lot of people like, oh, their second midline can play just like their first. They can't, but their second midfield line is as good as any second midfield line in the country. So Maryland. Maryland wins that game. They were absolutely incredible here. I didn't go through and kind of show my my pictures here for you guys as we went, but, you know, oh, well. So next one I want to talk about here was the Delaware at Cornell game. Cornell, they have a hard time getting out of the gate this season. They, they're, they, are, they are a slow – start team they got off the bus ready to roll against Delaware on Sunday minus a little bit of a lull in the middle of that first quarter Uh, I think they took a 2-0 lead and then they let Delaware take a 4-2 lead before getting the lead and pretty much you know not not getting in the hole again from there 
In this one, Ty Kurtz was incredible in defeat. He goes for five goals off 14 shots. Not the best shooting day for him, but Cornell wasn't giving anyone else on the Delaware team much space at all, so somebody had to pop off shots, and Kurtz was the guy. Kurtz had a a hot hand. He put up 30 points, 24-6 and in Delaware's five games leading up to that quarterfinal win over Georgetown. In that Georgetown game, he only had one goal. Didn't matter. They still won that game, but 30 points over five games leading into that. He puts up five goals in this loss. I believe he's got a year of eligibility left, so Delaware, the Blue Hens, they're hoping to hell that they get him back, but I just wanted to give him props for playing a tough game. Uh, Angelo Petrakis, huge at the dot. 15 of 19 with a goal and seven GBs big. He has He's had a rough go. The last two outings against Yale and Ohio State, he only won 21 of 49 draws combined with 11 GBs and an assist. That's not a great stat line overall. He's been streaky in the season, but he's been good when they've needed him to be. But when Cornell needed him to play big on Sunday and keep the ball out of the hands of a very potent Blue Hens offense, he delivered. Because, I mean, they, they dominated the possession battle. And, and right there, Delaware's thanking God for the shot clock because even where we see guys dominate the dot, if your defense can play tough and the Blue Hens defense has played surprisingly tough here down the stretch, um, you know, you need those possessions. Petrakis got them for Cornell and, and, you know, he delivered is what you would say. Now Cornell's defense disruptive, you know, they gave up eight goals to Delaware despite their possession advantage, but in the end, their defense, you know, they forced eight turnovers, you know, so despite the fact that, you know, Delaware didn't have the rock nearly as much as Cornell, that defense still forced eight turnovers. Gavin Adler, he had two takeaways and a few GBs. The real, the real big cat in this game, though, Chase Erlin in cage. He stopped 15 of the 23 shots he faced. Huge over the third quarter also. When Delaware rifled off 13 shots over the course of the third, Erlin stopped six of them and only let three get past of him, or past of him, get past him. Now, he was below 50% in the two Ivy League tournament games. He had kind of been off his game a little bit, or maybe he's just playing filthy Ivy teams, and that was the problem. He was 61% in the first round win over Ohio State in this tournament and 65% versus Delaware on Sunday between the pipes, and a hot goalie is going to be needed badly this upcoming weekend against another hot goalie in uh, in uh, Cursed for Rutgers. Uh, cursed brother. Had a rough day. One goal. CJ had one goal off nine shots, but he got a little help from his friends overall. And uh, Kirst, he's going to have to be on his game this weekend against Rutgers. If we kind of go in here and we look at the stat line for for Cornell, Michael Long, 1-2, and two, uh, Piatelli, 3-0, and oh, Spencer Wertheim, 2-0, and oh, Billy Coyle, 1-0. And, oh, and you just see, you know, Cornell had to get some scoring out of some other guys because Kirst was one of nine shooting on the day. So that was a little bit rough. But overall, you know, you're, you'll, you'll take that. You'll take a win when your best offensive player has a rough day, and hopefully that he doesn't repeat that against his brother and Rutgers uh, next weekend on Saturday. But either way, I, I'll, I'll kind of pick winners here at the end of this, but that, that's kind of the story of that game. It was, none of these games were insanely exciting. They, you know, the, the, a bunch of these games were semi-close. The Yale-Princeton game was close. This game was close. The, um, what was the other one here? The Rutgers-Penn game is going to be a little bit close, but the, there was a pattern, and then once the, the, the team that won took control, you kind of had a feeling, okay, this game's not over, but they, they, they had control, and they didn't have to be all that scared, or you weren't as a fan all that scared. And I, I, like I said, I've hitched my wagon to uh, Cornell, so I'm glad to see them make it to the Final Four. Once again, I was going to try to rip through and show you guys some picks as we went, but... Fuck it. I, I didn't do it. Um, next game. 
I want to talk about Rutgers and Penn. Now, this game, in terms of the scoring timeline, it played out almost exactly like the Cornell game and uh, the Cornell game did. Now, if we look at it here, we see Rutgers jumps out to a lead. We get Penn tying it back up here, kind of jumps back and forth. Later in the game, Penn ends up taking a two-goal lead. That same thing played out in the Delaware-Cornell game before Rutgers then goes on a big run, takes a three-goal lead, gives up a goal late. And that's almost exactly how that Delaware-Cornell game played out. Um, Let's see here. Ethan Rawl. He played very tough defense here for Rutgers. If we come in here, we see Rawl had three cost turnovers, three GBs, and a goal. That's a big deal. On a day when your faceoff guy struggles as well because Rutgers lost the lion's share, lion's share of the faceoff, stealing the rock and scoring a goal is a really good way to kind of offset having a possession problem, and Rawl did that for him. Uh uh, Rawls been great all season also 31 cause turnovers 48 GBs two goals and four helpers that's a, a hell of a stat line for a defender so good job by Ethan Rawl Bartolo and Knobloch they led the offense but they got scoring deep into the roster here as well it was it, you know it was hot a very hot day here. It was brutal even up here. And they'd mentioned in the telecast that, that Rutgers was a little bit deeper in the midfield, and that was probably going to play on a hot day like this, and it did. Rutgers had 10 players register at least a point. And Penn, they got a lot more help from their bench than they probably expected to. They had nine guys score at least a point, the difference being their big guns didn't put up as much. If we look at the the point totals here, Cole Daninger, three assists, Mitch Bartolo, big cat, two and one. Shane Knobloch, big cat, three and oh. Ross Scott, one and one. And then just a bunch of guys putting up single points here. Ronan Jacoby, quiet, but he put up a goal. And if we look at Penn's output, we're going to see hey, Dylan Gergar had a huge game, four and one. Handley didn't score a goal off seven shots, but he had three helpers. But then it got quiet here. Shipley with an assist. Uh, Ruben, just a goal. So the 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 Rutgers defense did a good job limiting everybody else. They did a good job of keeping Handley off the scoreboard in terms of scoring a goal, even though he had those three helpers. Player of the game, though, player of the game here is Colin Kirst. The dude, I didn't say it until now because I, you know, I just wanted to do the player of the game last. But man, 18 saves against the 27 shots he faced. 10 of those shots were faced in the fourth quarter as the Quakers got desperate and kind of started playing a little bit of scramble. You know, let's bust our ass ball to try to get back in this. And he was, uh, you know, up to the task on seven of those 10 shots that he faced over the fourth quarter. So that ended up being huge. Birkinshaw didn't play bad in cage. He ends up with 14 saves here, as you see, against, what, 25 shots. So he didn't have a bad day. It just wasn't wasn't good enough when the other team's goalie and cursed is putting up 18 saves on the day. That's a monster game for him. In reality, when you look at the the stat line for this one, you would assume Penn won. I mean, Penn out, you know, Penn didn't outshoot them, but the shots were tight. Penn put a couple more shots on Cage. Saves, that's not a huge disparity here. Turnovers, you know, nothing huge here. Clears were pretty solid. Ground balls, Penn dominated. Uh, face-offs, Penn dominated, Penn got a man-up goal, Rutgers didn't. So you'd, you'd sit here and you'd look at this stat line, you'd be like, hey, Penn should, you know, could have won this game, but because of the game that Kirst ended up having in cage, that ended up not being the case at all, and, and Rutgers steals this one in a case like that. So Rutgers, they win, great game, and now we move on to Princeton and Yale. And the story of this one, it wasn't 
you know, just like I said, it, none of these games were insanely exciting because none of them came down to the wire at the end of the game. And that, that ends up being the kicker. You know, if you have a close game throughout the game, that's cool. But every one of these teams had a spread by the end and the other team was playing catch up and couldn't, couldn't pull it off. No different here. Penn scores for or Princeton scores first Yale gets three in a row. And then Princeton goes on a seven goal run to take an eight, three lead. And while you can see Yale kept trying to chip away eight, six, uh, Princeton answered nine seven. Princeton answered ten eight. Princeton answered eleven nine. Princeton answers and some gets a little bit of a cushion here, and then you know Yale scores one more before Princeton puts the the dagger puts the dagger away. Um, in terms of individual stats here, Princeton not and no one had a huge monster game here, and that's kind of the story of the weekend. No one you know outside of Kurtz and his five goals, nobody just went ape shit crazy this weekend, but everybody got a little bit of action here. Chris Brown, one and two, Sam English, three and oh, Coulter Mackesy, two and one, Slusher, one and one, Christian, uh, you know, Christian Ronda. And this is why I like Princeton. Offensively, Princeton is not a match for Maryland, but defensively, they're they're insanely solid. They don't take the ball away a lot, but they play good position defense. They they play well within their one-on-one matchups. They help effectively. And then you have a goalie in Eric Peters here that he puts up 17 saves versus the 27 shots he saw. So we just keep seeing goalies have big games. You look at Paquette, the young kid for Yale, he ends up with a big game as well. But, you know, I think if anyone, I think that Princeton probably of the teams that are left has the best chance of beating Maryland because I think offensively they can come at you. And if one guy has a down day, they've got other dudes that can, that can put it up. I mean, Alexander Vardaro, you know, they can go six deep in terms of their scoring output and they're going to need to go a little bit deeper against Maryland. And, and like I said, Maryland's the favorite. I mean, I think Maryland's going to win the game here this upcoming weekend against Princeton, but Princeton has a shot because they're good in every area of the field. And, uh, you know, Tyler Sandoval struggled. That's going to hurt him. So what, what it's going to come down to is can Sandoval and company split with Weirman? If they can't, game over, unless Eric Peters can put up 20. Like, Eric Peters will pretty much have to have a 20-save game to try to be able to, if, if Princeton's going to win, it's going to be, be, be because the face-off battle didn't go Weirman's way completely. Maybe he only wins 6 out of 10, you know, overall 60%. And Peters is going to have to put up 20 saves. I think that's going to be key. But Peters can put up, you know, he can put up big saves. You look at his numbers here. If we kind of rip through, let's take a look. My internet is really slow for some odd reason. Come on. Well, I was going to try to show you uh, Peter's stat line here. And for some reason, it's just not loading. There we go. So we can look at it now. Yeah, I mean, you look at his save totals here. He's above... 55% in these first five games here has a rough outing against Penn uh, has, you know, two rough outings here against Penn and Yale, but then he's back above 60% through this whole stretch before having a rough outing here. And then a rough outing here within the, that's the Ivy league tournament loss to Cornell. And then they, they beat Boston U and he goes 75%. That's the kind of day he's going to have to have is a 75% day. I don't think 63% even gets it done. I think he's going to have to stop a shitload of shots. And against the angry shooting uh, that Maryland that Maryland's going to put on him, I, I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen, but that is going to have to happen. If Princeton is going to have to have a, sh- if Princeton's going to have a shot overall, as we look at the matchups for this weekend, um, whoops, got to go to the calendar. These stupid pop-up ads. I hate that inside lacrosse. Uh, Rutgers Cornell. 
if I had to pick these games, now th- this is where shit gets hairy. I, I was 10 of 13 in my first weekend of bets, you know, placing bets. I was 10 of 13 in that first round, but that one's kind of easy. The only one I got, the only ones I got wrong was I took the spread, Georgetown uh, covering the spread and Georgetown winning. That Neither of those two things happened. And then I also lost on the spread in the pen game, I think is what it was, although I picked the winner properly. So it gets harder and harder this past weekend because I on purpose took Virginia money line because that paid better than any bet the whole weekend. So I was just like, shit, let's just put money on that. I didn't do as well this weekend because I was trying to gamble and get greedy and, and take underdogs and win more loot. And it just didn't pan out, but this is, this is going to be the toughest to pick. Now I think in this battle here, it's going to come down to who's hotter in cage and who gets the edge at the faceoff dot? And and does Cornell come out and start slow again as they have earlier in the season, or will they come out and play four quarters like they did in the game last weekend? In the end, I'm taking Cornell. I do like Cornell. I like Cornell's offense, uh, not more than Rutgers, but I I like what they do in in their uh, settled sets a little bit more. And defensively. I like Cornell. I like Erlen. I like the way that Erlen's been playing. It's tough not to take Rutgers in this one because you got to love Bartolo. Every time Bartolo scores a goal, he's like a full head ahead of everybody else. But I, uh, you know, for some reason, I have a feeling that Cornell's going to be able to pull this off, especially if they can win at the faceoff dot overall in this Princeton game against Maryland. I am obviously taking Maryland, and uh, I would say this Rutgers Cornell game is probably going to be one of the better games in the tournament. I think this game has the potential to go right down to the wire. We could see overtime. We could see a one-goal game. I hope that's the way this one plays out, because realistically, this one's going to be probably for at least a four-goal win for Maryland, and you could end up seeing Maryland do to Princeton what they did to Virginia, because Maryland's playing much better lacrosse right now overall. The reason Maryland's playing much better lacrosse right now overall is because of these two guys. The transfer portal has been very kind to Maryland, but Keegan Kahn, the last time these guys played, he had, what did he have? He was 0 for 0, 0 for in this one, off just four shots. He had a rough stretch here through these three games. You could even say through these four games. Let's highlight them. Rough stretch for Kahn here, but once Kahn figured it out, got his shit together. You just see the output four and three, four and one, three and three, four and two. Hey, just two goals and a big win over Ohio state four and one, two and two, a little bit quieter lately, but they haven't needed him to do anything huge. It's, you know, cause everybody's been scoring a boatload. So con is one of the reasons they've been killing it. And Donville too, the other transfer from Cornell con from Virginia, uh, Donville from Cornell, and you look at what he did too. You know, he kind of had a little bit of a. Yeah, he really hasn't had a lull. He's been pretty consistent here throughout the whole season. But you see what those guys have done, and that that's been huge for Maryland overall. So I think Maryland's going to win it. And then my, you know, I'm not even going to pick a, a winner. I mean, I think Maryland's going to win the whole tournament. So you know, I'm I'm not. I don't need to go through and try to pick that next round here. We got a we got a cat chirping me. Let's see if we can get the cat to come up on the desk. Oh, it's gonna. So, hey, is this going to be your first appearance of the season? Come on. Come on, dum-dum. This is our fatso. This is the fat cat. You still can't see it. Let's see if I can get it to come over here. Nope. It's not going to. So, anyway, let us take a look at the D2 action here a little bit. We had games this weekend. Now, Tampa beat up Limestone. Uh, they had a, an issue here where their coach actually had collapsed on the sideline and had to go to the hospital. I hear he is doing much better and recovering, though. Uh, they actually had to break at some point in the first quarter. 
And when the teams came back out, Tampa just proceeded to kick Limestone's dicks in from there. Uh, Cole Willard, 4-1. and one. Harry Kilkowski, 3-1. and one. Nick Papa, 3-0. and oh. Is he related to Tom Papa? We'll never know. Uh, so, you know, Tampa, they filled it up here. In the end, in terms of the goalie battle, we see, I mean, just both goalies had a hell of a day. Even Chase Taylor coming in in relief had a big day. Blake Ulmer, 14 saves against, seven goals against. And actually, Baxter didn't play terrible, nor did Lions. You know, Limestone did everything that they could here to to not get their dicks kicked in, but that was just the way that it played out. And then in terms of the faceoff dot, pretty fair. So what this is is just Tampa is filthy offensively and, and probably similar to a Maryland-type onslaught in terms of the way they just keep coming at you and coming at you. So they beat up on Limestone. Now i got to go back because I clicked that stupidly. And then the Mercy-Lemoyne game, that bad boy went into two overtimes. So that is pretty crazy. Who scored the game winner? Now I'm going to have to look at this here. Dominic Scorcia scores the game winner for Mercy. So that's a big deal. Hell of a job there, kid. If we look at the scoring here, you know, nothing, nothing huge. Brady Kiernan, he goes two and three. Dominic Scorcia, three and oh, including that game winner. Uh, in terms of the goalie battle, 16 saves against uh, 27 shots faced. You'll take that all day long. Frank Delia didn't do bad for Lemoyne, but Mercy moves on to the finals against Tampa. And from what everybody is saying, I have not watched a, a bunch of Division II lacrosse, uh, to be fair. But from what everybody's saying, Tampa's probably going to kick the Dixon of, of Mercy as well. Let's actually see, have Tampa and Mercy played yet this season? They have not. But when you look at the scoring differences here, Tampa's beat a lot of people up throughout the season. Not that Mercy hasn't. So, yeah, I think Tampa's going to win this one. It'll be pretty sweet. Get them a national title here, and we'll go from there. Now, the D3 action. We'll talk about a little bit more about these games when we preview them coming up here. I watched both of these games because the Virginia-Maryland game was fairly boring. RIT beat Tufts up. Even this 26-15 uh, final score doesn't do it justice because at, po- at one point I turned on this, I turned on the game and I think it was like a three or four go- goal game because uh, uh, RIT had jumped out to a big lead. I think they they outscored Tufts 10-4 to four over the course of the first quarter. Tufts got a couple of goals in the second, made it look a little bit better, and then RIT just rolled from there. It was an absolute beatdown. And you just look at it here. Luke Pilcher, seven and two. Gaston, seven and zero. Oh. Commandant, five and one. I mean, they just lit it up all the way down. Boyden was six and zero. Oh. Birdall was held to two and four. That's holding Birdall back for sure because this dude has scored a shit ton of points this year. Birdall has. What's he got? Sixty-seven goals and seventy-seven helpers. Birdall has been just a monster for Tufts, but not. Not on, uh, what was this? Were these games on Sunday? Yeah, I couldn't believe, too, that these guys played the semifinals on Saturday in 90-degree heat, and then they had to turn around and play the finals on Sunday in, you know, what, 85-degree heat? It wasn't much better. Uh, Drew Hutchinson, solid in cage, you know, 12 saves against 11 goals against, and you see here uh, Garzone did not have a good day. Eight saves against 26 goals. So that was a really rough outing. And then the faceoff dot, yeah, it was fair. It was fair. Tufts actually won the the better share of the draws or whatnot. Jimmy Spillane was solid for RIT, though. Uh, and then we have we have set up here now an all-New York Division Three final because Union held, held off York. Union was up, I think, when I turned this game on, like 8-2. Or something like that, and York just kind of battled back slow but sure. 
But you see here Hayden Frey, two and one, Peter Burns, two and one, Zach Davis, two and one. You know, these guys, the reason the union has been so good is because Burns here, 58 and 25, uh, Keaton McCann, 43 and 24, Hayden Frey, 36 and 28. You just look at what these guys have done. They have been solid all year, that that attack uh, group of these three here. And they were pretty much all solid here. Uh, this, well, At least Frey and Burns were in this game here. Not not monster, not monster games, but you know when when you're playing a low scoring game like this, you got to do what you got to do. In terms of the goalie battle, Dan Donahue stood on his head for Union, stopping 67 percent of the shots he faced. He had 16 saves on the day, and you look at Jack Michael for for York, he did not have himself a day. But in fairness, I watched the game. I mean, Union was just lighting shit up. They were getting a lot of really good looks. The defense for York kind of let their goalie down a little bit, and then at the faceoff dot, Union. Won the bulk of the draws, and in a close game like this, that ends up being key, especially early in the game. So uh, who do I pick for this one here? What do we got going for the finals? Let's just bust out the calendar just so we can look at – oh, no, no games are scheduled. These finals aren't even loaded yet, but I think RIT is going to win this game. RIT, let's go back then because we can actually look at it. RIT beat Union by a goal earlier in the season here. Where are we at? Union, yep, they beat him 14-13. Earlier in the season, oh, wait, I clicked the wrong thing. There we go. And in that game, what happened? Keaton McCann was 5-1, and one, Frey was 1-3, and three, Davis 2-1, and one, Marley Angus 4-2, Commandant 3-1. and one. So, you know, both teams can score goals. We know that the goalie battle in this one, what did it come down to? Both goalies had a rough day, but Dan Donahue played the better game, hence uh, Union being in this game. And then at the face-off dot, what happened? Matthew Palato, 82% or Palato, 82%. So Union won 82% of the draws, more than that, or a little bit less than that. Uh, they won 70% of the draws overall against Spillane, and they still lost this game by a goal. So they're going to have to repeat that. That's a stat line that, that sticks out. They're going to have to repeat that to be able to have any chance against RIT. And if we look at what Spillane's done lately... Let's see, face-off winning percentage. You see here he had this stretch. That's the Union game where he's 30%. You see he had a down game against Skidmore, 25%, but he has been really solid since then, been above 50% every game since that Skidmore rough outing. So as long as he can play tougher and not get absolutely roached by Union like he did the last time they play, they probably end up winning this game here. And then if we look at, I guess that's all we have to look at. Let's see what the fans are picking so far. Have the fans picked anything? Fans are primarily picking, that doesn't even tell us, does it? Oh, that was for that last game. I'm rambling now. All right, so that's pretty much it. Uh, we've made our picks here. D1, we're just picking Maryland. Maryland uh, for D3. I like I like RIT's chances of winning so long as they don't get absolutely roasted at the faceoff dot like they did the last time against Union. Tampa, I think we could see a 5-10 to 10 goal spread in that game. Um, those games won't probably be televised on ESPN, but they usually are televised somewhere, maybe even like officially by the NCAA website or something like that. But if you want to watch the D2 and the D3 games here, hit the calendar up. If you go to, uh, let's say, like the D2 calendar, or even the scores page would end up having it. You know, if you went, if you went to the D2 and the D3 scores page on game day, it'll have a little webcast link here where it shows a score. So if you want to try to find the D2, it used to be when I was a kid, 
the D2 and the D3 games would be televised on ESPN on Sunday. At some point, they stopped doing that, which is a damn shame because those games are usually every bit as good and entertaining to watch as the Division One games are. Um, but 100%, they will be streamed, and you'll be able to watch them if you have an internet connection because you're not you know, from like the 1920s. So hit the inside lacrosse score. Or you can either hit the teams. The team schedule will have a link typically, or you can hit this inside lacrosse scoreboard, and it'll have a webcast link that'll jump you to those games. So do that. I will probably not be back Thursday. What's the sense? I've already previewed these games a little bit. I will put a video out Thursday that I already have cut up. It will be breaking down. I forget what I broke down. I broke down, I think, Penn's game-winning goal or something like that from the week prior. So I'll put a video up, but we're not going to do a preview show or anything Thursday because we kind of did that as part of this. And then as, as, as normal, I'll probably do a show, maybe even a live stream Sunday morning recapping Saturday's games, and then we'll have to do another show on Tuesday recapping Monday's game. So that is it. I will be back. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Help me out. Share the podcast. Like the show. Um, uh, subscribe. Do all that good shit. And I will be back on Sunday morning. We'll live stream Sunday morning's show talking about Saturday's action. And that is it. Hoost is out.